This weekend, man, back to the basics. I'm going to go grocery shopping. I'm going to go run. I just went on a little walk. It's really beautiful outside. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. The last two weeks. People are still wearing masks. Good. But there's a lot of people who aren't. Not good. I was visiting Ian, my friend in Annapolis, and he said he went on a trip to Florida and like no one in Florida wears masks. (laughs) And now I guess they're having a resurgence. So I don't know. So it's uh, asymmetric risk. I don't care if masks yeah. don't work or not. It's just if they if they don't work and you don't wear them. Um, if they don't work and you do wear them, that's much much better than if they do work and you don't wear them. Yeah. So yeah, Pascal's wager, modern form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not gonna start talking about religion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I think New York's gonna open up soon. But um, yeah, man, I've had a hard like few weeks. I just feel like. I, I was actually just listening to this podcast with Jordan Gall and, and um, Brian Castle, and, and Jordan was saying, he, he literally said this, and I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's been in my life, because he said he like loves the idea of working at night and has been stuck in this routine where he does the busy work stuff in the morning and is not having time for the bigger projects, and then it, he, like in his mind, imagines once he clears off the stuff, the urgent stuff, not the important stuff, but the urgent stuff, the night will come and he'll be able to just focus. But then he doesn't have any energy, you know, at night. And he just like, he says, I'll do it the next day. And then the next day you spend the productive morning doing that urgent stuff. And then you don't have room for the important stuff. And I'm like, man, I've been in that cycle too. And it's so frustrating. Dude, same. I mean, it's so bad. It's so bad. And like, I think there's a lot that will help with this, which would be like going back to normal and getting the office and stuff. Like I can't wait for that. But like even my exercising habits have been off and just, yeah. Yeah. Because before we had, I mean, we had awesome boundaries set up and maybe we weren't like thinking about those. We weren't like explicitly thinking about those, but like we had an office and we were in at certain hours and that's when work got done. And then when we're working from home, it's so easy to be like, yeah, I'll do this later tonight. And then you're tired and yeah, it just, that happens like four nights in a row and you're just like, what am I doing? I know. And the worst, and it's like, I feel guilty. Yeah. The worst part is, is you look back at the work that you did those four days. And, and like you said, it's like replying to emails and yeah. meetings and it like, there's literally nothing to show for it. I know. I know, man. It's so bad. Um, I like I the, don't know what to do. I like the back to basics. Yeah, no, seriously, for me, like, I'm gonna just, I'm also just trying to get away from like, feeling guilty about stuff like this is just not useful or helpful. But like, I I still do sometimes feel guilty. Um, Like, man, I really like even this week, I wanted this Mirage tutorial, I've been working, I, I started this work journal, because I just wanted to keep track of what I've been working on. And I really like it, because I do get to look back at the last month and see what I've done. And I actually turns out I do work a lot, even, you know, (laughs) I'm sitting on my computer 40, 50 hours a week. Turns out I am getting things done, which is nice, but even if it doesn't feel like it, but, um, the most important things like are still, it's easy for them to slide. And, um, this Mirage tutorial, like every week for the last three weeks on my, on my work journal, I've been like, I worked on this. I wanted to ship it this week. This is like my number one priority for next week. Like if this is the only thing that gets done, I'd be happy. And then it just like slips and slips. And here we are again, it's Friday. And like, I really could ship it in like half an hour if I just had focus, but it's like, this weird combination of like energy and i don't know just it's weird but um yeah the uh the the stuff about deadlines is really interesting you know we were talking a little bit about that yeah you had a suggestion of doing deadlines and i really i like that i mean it just forces you to to actually make a trade-off um i think that's like one of our biggest problems is that i think so too um it's very easy to say okay this needs more polish it needs more work and the deadline is the thing that controls that. Yep. I know. I was like in one of my dark moments where I was just like feeling guilty about not getting stuff done. I was like, I just need to go back to work for someone for like the next <laughs> month and have someone crack the whip, you know? But um, Adam was talking about some of their uh, practices that he wants to kind of implement now that he's hiring folks for Tailwind, to work on Tailwind. And um, he wrote this document. I think he might end up sharing it. But uh, some of the things he was saying in there was like how they work and and it had to do with these notions of deadlines and um, that like, yeah, you have a deadline and you need to get better at controlling scope. And that's like we've done this already a little bit and it's worked well when we've done it like um, 
uh, even just shipping the tutorial as we've been going and not having like long PRs. We have the REPL live. I feel like that stuff is really good. It's just, it's like the final 10%, right? And it's, um, he had this really interesting point in there, which was like, whenever we have these, he like categorizes the work into like bigger things he calls projects and like smaller things he calls something else. But the bigger things have like two week deadlines or three week deadlines and you change the scope to fit it in the deadline and the thing that ends it that ships it that completes it is a blog post Mm. so if you can't announce the thing with a blog post as public then it's not done that's great um and i feel like that even just that little change would have affected how we did the tutorial and the REPL because now it feels like we have both of those things are ongoing and that's like, it would be better probably if we just had the tutorial a month ago and hadn't started in the REPL kind of thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just hard to balance between like wanting to work on the bigger stuff to ship it, but also wanting to like go where we're inspired to and feel like going. And there's sometimes where, um, you just need to do the work, uh, even if you don't feel like it, but I feel like, um, sometimes that can be like, I can go too far with that. And then it's like you have the situation where now where we have like five ongoing things and none of them are done. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, so I like the idea of like a blog post or even a tweet that is an announcement. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, that way, like what would that look like to have said that tutorial would take three weeks and it ends with an announcement. I would have spent a lot less time on like, I was doing this thing with images, dude. I, I like this week I worked on it and like, we have these embedded images in the tutorial and, they look so much like the code snippets that I wanted to give them a treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, cause it was just confusing. And so I tried some different things like medium style, not like interactive, just like shadows or, or borders. I just went with a simple border that I liked, but then like it worked well on the white images, but then there was a dark image and I needed to change it. So I got in this rabbit hole of like um, Gatsby image. You know, we were talking yeah, about that yeah. Gatsby image thing just to customize it. So I made it so that you can just, if you upload an image, if you reference it in a markdown and it ends in dash dark, then it will use a dark variant, like a dark shade of the border. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it looks neat. And, uh, and, it, and it, it's not only just that it looks neat. It, it helps you, it helps separate it and makes it clear. So, um, I got that working, but like, that's the kind of thing. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that could just be, could be cut if i was on another deadline or i'd find some i wouldn't have explored with as many different variants and stuff like that mm. you know hey i had, i just had a thought on the like writing the email writing the tweet um yeah sorry writing the blog post uh yeah. writing the tweet i was also thinking like you could add it do an email it would be email int- is actually really great it would be interesting to to start at the end and yeah. write that email write that blog post is like your very yeah. first step and that's the way that you're like you really you outline the scope if we if we wrote a blog post that was like this is a REPL, this is what it can do um it feels like i don't know maybe there's i like, wonder if you're a lo- lot i wonder if you're locking yourself into fixed scope and fixed deadline at that in that at that case you, you overpromise and you're like oh it was in the blog post that we committed to and so now i can't get it done or something yeah i was okay i was thinking more along the lines of like um you're you don't let scope creep happen for those next two Uh, weeks because you're like okay i didn't write this in the blog post i shouldn't go down this path yeah it's tricky right because there's always things that come up um yeah that you didn't anticipate but he writes about that too um and like base camp folks have talked about this too so i think is this a whole um, like shape up stuff yeah it's like related to that he doesn't adam doesn't use that terminology but i think it's a similar part of it which is like yeah, part of it is what can you ship in two weeks? And um, obviously it can't be like his example is like renderless component library for a view. Like that is too big, even for four or six weeks. It's like way too big. So <laughs> what's more realistic is like a renderless drop down that we can do in a month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can ship that and, and you don't need to wait until the whole thing is done to ship the thing. So um, for us, it would have been like the REPL yeah, we've kind of been thinking about the REPL too big, right? Because it's been useful, but it's not been live and there hasn't been an announcement post. So what would it have li- looked like? I mean, I can tell you right now, it's super easy. Just like get requests and, um, you know, no database tab, like mm-hmm. no post requests. And like we said, we didn't want to ship it without that because it's like not complete. But again, it, it just would have been better. Um, 
people would have been using it we would have worked on slightly different things um yeah so seems pretty reasonable to me yeah um, even the tutorial you could imagine breaking it into two parts or uh just shipping it with like this part is not ready yet and um but it's still polished enough that uh, people could start it you know yeah well i mean uh, we went through the redwood tutorial and they say that and the redwood tutorial is great it's fantastic yeah exactly so it wasn't like so, oh man this sucks like right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um adam has shipped a screencast on tailwind um he has like two of seven parts done the rest aren't done but the other parts are great people get value out of them a ton of value out of them so <clears throat> um i think we should we should think about doing this it's pretty interesting and it seems like not a huge leap from what we're doing just a few tweaks exactly. that will make you know put things in the right place um so that feels pretty good yeah but, it's, um, it's definitely not a huge leap yeah um but yeah man this weekend gotta buy food gotta go for a run just ah oh, quarantine so bad <laughs> I, I do really well with rules is there a service you can pay someone who will just pick up the phone at you at 6 a.m and just yell at you like a drill sergeant <laughs> that's what i need that brings out the best in me nice or just like an unhealthy relationship yeah you know that's what i was gonna recommend <laughs> a bossy girlfriend or something like that <laughs> i guess i probably just ask my mom to call me you know and yell at me although she's like she's not really that type she she actually would be the opposite she wow we're getting really pretty. she would be like she'd be like oh you deserve an extra like 30 minutes just hit the snooze button like no that's not the point I need the opposite. <laughs> You're why I have no self-discipline to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, cool, man. So you've been slinging some React? Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing two two React projects. Um, actually, three. Talk about Do you th- overextending. <laughs> two of them are client work, though. So, <laughs> Do you think React teams should have, like, we should have a new term for like the use effect specialist. And it's like, <laughs> there's like for every four react developer teams, there's like three who are react developers. And there's one who's like a react dash use effect developer. Is that the ratio three to one? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. What you were saying, you learned something about use effect. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I, you know, work on this app. I, um, there's a whole bunch of effects and a lot of changing components. And, um, I think like before the last few weeks, I had always thought of use effect as like, you should write out your effects with, um, with no dependency array, just that they always run. And, um, and then when you need to optimize them, um, come in, add the dependency array and, and optimize your effects that way. Um, Mm -hmm. and the reason I thought this is, is this prevents you from using that dependency array as a way to control how your effect should run, um, or when your effect should run. That's, that's really the answer. Um, but I've since changed. I mean, that's how the docs, that's how the docs introduce it too. Yeah. Yes. And you're not supposed to be thinking about when, you know, ever yes. like in the same way, you're not supposed to be thinking about when this P tag is updated. It's, 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 HTML. it's, 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 it's interesting. You want to think about when in terms of when things change, but you don't want to think of when as in, um, life cycles and like when time. it mounts. Yeah, yeah, it's time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Any, anyway, I've, I've totally changed my view on this. Um, okay. So what I do now is I write an effect and the first thing I do is I immediately add an empty dependency array. Okay. Um, that is the very first thing I do. And then I have the ESLint rule for, um, you know, for, uh, what is it? Um, no exhaustive depths. That's it. Where, where if you use something inside of your effect that's defined outside of the effect and, and inside of render, then you get an ESLint warning. Um, as soon as I get that little yellow squiggly, um, I right-click on it and I tell uh, ESLint to fill in the dependencies. And I actually treat the dependency array as like, like the programming language. I imagine mm-hmm. that this thing is auto-generated and I have no mm-hmm. control over it. Yeah. Um, the reason for this is, is that I, That's great. yeah. And I, I found that this is like, this has, has made everything a lot easier. Um, I ran into a bug where, um, we had an effect that was, was doing something that was, um, 
I'm not like idempotent. I'm not sure if that's the best term to describe this. Something like document.title, right? Where it mm-hmm. doesn't really matter how many times this component renders. It doesn't really matter how many times the effect runs. Like if you're setting the same title and you run it 50 times or you run it once, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't matter. The, the component's going to be right. Um, with most, like with most of these apps that I work on, like the effects aren't that simple, right? Mm-hmm. We like, they're making API calls. They're loading third-party JavaScript. They're doing all this, this, all these like service integrations that really people can explain, but no one really understands. Mm-hmm. And so we had an effect that um, was calling third-party JavaScript, and that effect was rerunning on every render. But nice. the reality is like that thing should have only been run once, mm-hmm. um, and. The reason this became a problem is because this component could only ever update in one way, right? This was like a component that was really high in the tree and it could Mm -hmm. only ever update when it received a new prop. It received one prop, um, one prop that could change and that's when the effect would run, right? Because the effect would run on render. So it just so happens that this effect was only running when that prop changed, even though it wasn't explicit um, because that's the only way this component could change. And then as we add new features to the app and we add more hooks to the app, um, this component gets a little more responsibility. And now all of a sudden it, it can re-render in different ways. Mm. Um, it can, it, in this case, it, it had a context and that context was changing and that caused this component to re-render. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I realized here it's like, okay, so like what was the problem? It's like, I had this effect and this effect shouldn't have been rerunning on every render. It just so happened that it lined up that on every render was the times it should rerun. But then as soon as we introduced more ways to rerender, um, it was broken. It was a buck. Is, isn't the counter argument that your effect was bu- like faulty, like your effect could have been written in a way that, I mean, like, absolutely. Effect the effect didn't capture the business logic. The effect only should have run when the name prop changed. Um, however, the only way the component could re-render is when the name prop changed. So no, I understand that, but couldn't couldn't the couldn't the purist or whatever argue like, well, the fix here is is to make it so that the code inside your effect um, it can is is item potent truly. Uh, it, and therefore, it, like React can decide to re-render your entire app at any time, and you wouldn't have whatever the actual bug was um, in this case. I, I mean, a hundred percent. But this, the code in here was like, I mean, the code in here was like funky. There was just a lot of code in there, and um, like I basically said, basically, like if you were to, sorry, go ahead. L- like I said, it like we could all explain what the code was doing. And it looks idempotent. It looks like, oh, it's fine. It's just going to do all this stuff. But then mm-hmm. somewhere in that chain, there's like a call to a third party. And yeah, and you like it, it was a little bit more than document.title, right? It was yeah, actually yeah, affecting yeah. the world and it yeah. created this issue. So, like, um, I think it's really hard to ask developers to like think, like, okay, yeah. look at this code. Does it have real world side effects or does it have idempotent side effects? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of a hard question to answer. In the case of like document title versus fetch, like we can easily right. point at it and answer. We can say like fetch is a real world side effect. Document title is, is idempotent. Right. So basically, if you were going to take the other approach, leave the dependency array off completely so it could rerun literally whenever it needed to um, in order for you to make the code in the effect item potent in that way, you would end up recreating like the dependency array. So you would do something like using a ref to say, to track if you've run this yet. And if so, uh, you know, have an if block inside the effect that just doesn't run all that gnarly code. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and we, that it is safe to rerun over and over again. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. So that was like one of the paths we were going to go down and we had a discussion mm-hmm. with the team and it was like, look, like we actually, we didn't understand, like there was uncaptured business logic, right? We shouldn't mm-hmm. be running this effect every time. Um, mm-hmm. There was business logic. We just, we didn't, it was kind of like implicit in the fact that this component would only re-render when the prop changed, but by putting like a ref in there and using an if statement, we're actually making it explicit. 
um, mm-hmm. we're, def- we're saying when this thing should run. Um, yeah, that's sort of when I like landed on like, you know, if I just, if I treat like this dependency array is like, I'm, I'm making air quotes here, but like part of the programming language. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, that feels like that makes it a little better. It feels like I'm not, it's not forcing me to think about, um, this effect as much. And I don't know, maybe there's like, I can't really think of a situation where like you would want it to rerun on every render, like where, where an auto generated dependency array has problems, but rerunning on every render doesn't because the way I think about re-renders is it doesn't really matter if your component re-renders 50 times or two times. Um, it should behave the same way in both situations. Totally. But, um, there is a difference. Somehow we're back in this. Effectness. <laughs> what I was going to first, let me first say the thing I was going to say, then I'll react to that. The first thing is like, in some ways you can squint your eyes and making an effect that has no dependencies and just runs on every render that uses an if check with a ref to um, keep track internally, quote internally to the effect about whether or not this gnarly code has run yet and avoiding rerunning it um, is basically the same thing as adding the dependency array. Um, the dependency array is kind of yeah. like a um, built-in declarative way to just say... Um, exactly that and so the only question i have is like i will oh i i can i push back on this a little so i think yeah. like i i 100 percent agree with you i think that i think that a lot of times the dependency array also gets used as a control flow thing um where it's like when to run this effect and not yeah, so yeah, much which is wrong yes but yeah, I mean, I, that, I, I agree. I, I think it's wrong, but I can tell you we can open any React app and we're going to we're going to see, see it. But setting that aside, uh, if you're using the dependency array in order to encode this thing, which is basically making it so that this effect is like safe. Um, it's like you're trying to make the effect safe and, and, and correct so that it doesn't run uh, when it's not supposed to. Yeah. Um, and the dependency array is one way to do that. And using an if statement with a ref that keeps track whether it's run or not is another way. Um, so my only question is like, imagine a world where you have less control over your app than you do today. Concurrent mode is like re-rendering things, throwing things away. Um, is there a difference there where you use the dependency array to make your effect safe? Um, uh, and so you think as long as it only runs when this prop changes, which is like never in this app, it's only going to run once. Therefore, I'm good. But now, is that really what that code says? From React's perspective, what is the contract with an effect that has those dependencies? Is it that? Or is it really, I can rerun this. I can run this effect anytime, passing in the latest version of these props that are in the dependency array. Um, and, um, I should be able to throw, throw this away and rerun it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you use the if statement, um, and that wouldn't work in your case, like the dependency array wouldn't make the effect safe to rerun because react would say, I'm going to run it. And here's the latest version. You told me this is the effect that should run with this version, this, this, uh, values of the state. I'm going to run it. Um, and actually we hit the bug cause we're going to run it again. Whereas if you wrote it in a way that was truly like using the if statement, rack could literally run it whenever. And it would it always would be always safe because yep. you're yep. basically in control of it. So I, I don't, so to answer that, I don't think concurrent mode has, has, <laughs> has an effect on this. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a great point. And this is like, this is one of the things that we talked about. It's like, if you use the if statement, it is like the most explicit version and, right. it, and it, it is, it's not even about that. It's more about like, the developers capturing the business logic, right? right? Like, like anyone can open that effect and you don't even have to know react. You can just be like right. describing the code to someone and the business logic is perfectly captured where it's like, if you have, um, if you have things in a dependency array, then like, it's like kind of like react knowledge, right? Right. It's right. not, there's, it's just, you know, a lot about react and you know how it works. 
Um, yeah, that's a good question. I should, I should definitely look into that and be aware of that. Um, I think to like boil down what you said, it's like just because you have something in a dependency array means it will rerun whenever those values change. But is there's a question where if those values doesn't don't mean change, it won't run. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If those exactly. values don't change, is the system allowed to rerun it? Exactly. That's a really, that's a great question to yep. ask. Yes. someone who knows the answer to it <laughs> because if the whole yeah it's kind of interesting too right um yeah super it's super interesting because it's it's i'm basically making the argument that like um you should let the program i, I say programming language because i consider this ESLint rule as part of part of your react programming totally. mental model i'm saying that you should let the programming language um auto decide what everything you're using is and then have it automatically re rerun when those things change but th mm -hmm. yeah, that just might not be true. I might need to like more explicitly capture capture these rules. Right. Interesting. So we're in agreement that the if statement is more explicit, and um, you could actually also layer the if statement on top of the effect that uses the depths. So if you imagine a world where the depths weren't even an argument, hey, in my case, I'm I I would have to do that because, like I said, I make that empty array, and then I just I just say do your do your thing, React compiler, auto complete totally. these. Yes, totally. So it's almost like uh, you want if you, if the second argument wasn't even there and React automatically did the depths thing, um, you would still need to use the if statement in certain situations to yes. make sure the thing doesn't rerun. Yep. Um, so um, well, it's really just that the depths thing is helping you. The depths thing is there to help you consider the cases where the props change and you haven't done anything about it. Whereas the if statement um, or like really what you're doing is like memoization, right? In some sense, like if the CK editor instance already exists, I don't need to reinstantiate this. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe if the prop changes, I need to reset the text value on the editor. Uh, or if the script hasn't been loaded from the third party, um, I need to load it. Otherwise, I might need to do other things if these props change. Yeah. So it almost feels like they're, on the one hand, you're trying to consider what to do if the props change. On the other, you're trying to make your effect safe to re to re-renders. Yeah, I would say the first, like the reason for this discussion is that um, you might Safety. think, yeah, you might think your component can only re-render in one way, and you might completely understand how your how your entire system works, how your components receive props. Um, but then someone comes along and adds a new prop or a new hook that now causes it to re-render in other ways. And, and it can be an, a completely unrelated part of the app. Oh, it, oh, it, oh, my, it can be, you could be using a context and that context never changes until someone else starts using it and starts changing it. Um, yeah. So there's a million ways that, that this can happen. And it's, yeah, it's, it's to really, to, to force you to capture like when this effect should run. Um, so that when this component does change and does start re-rendering 50 times, you're, you're safe from that. And I guess, I guess maybe like after having this, maybe both, maybe like auto-completing the dependency array as well as I know, like, but that's, but that we're back to this conversation that we had like two or three episodes ago where you, it, I don't know if you can have both. You can either optimize for one world where you are catching, um, bugs related to stale state that you didn't consider before, or you're optimizing for another world, which is safety um and that is that i don't uh, make a, a loop of fetch calls or re-download a third-party javascript nine times because my component happened to re-render if you optimize for the safety case you use the if statement but then you might miss out on uh depth changes that are actually important um if you optimize for the thing that's going to where the programming model is going to let you know if depth changes have happened that you haven't considered then you have exposed yourself to the risk of the thing running uh, not due to a depth change, but due to a re-render. So um, we should get that. We should get the question answered. That can can in effect run if no depths have changed. It, yeah. And 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 I, I want. I like my gut reaction. There is no, no, it can't. Like this is a guarantee. Yeah. But we should we should actually get a, a clear yeah. answer. And also, just like what should your mental model be like? Am I when you're writing an effect? Um, should you be thinking I'm going to write this like? you know, Ryan Florence says to synchronize this with this piece of state, or am I writing this to be safe and making sure is my primary goal to make sure that this syncs with 
every state it depends on? Or is my primary goal to write this effect in a way it's truly idempotent and safe? Um, because when I write, when I compose my application of idempotent effects, React can do more of the work. I can offload more of my code to the system. And as long as I just laser focus on making this thing like, like my fetch call, like it's idempotent, like it can run as many times as I want. And I've done the hard work of um, using memoization to say, uh, you know, if this thing exists in a ref or in context, I don't need to rerun this. But as far as the effect is concerned, you can rerun that thing all you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of feels like a slightly different mental model. I mean, there's overlap here, obviously, which is why it's so confusing, but um, it feels like it's a different mental model, like how, how you should think about it. Um, but also like the fact that you've been working on all these apps and like you just, you can't, that's like your, that's your boots on the ground experience there, which is like, this is way better to do it like this. And so that's huge. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. There might be like a million caveats here, but, but without a doubt, like auto completing that dependency array. And I mean, here, step one is don't use, uh, the dependency array for control flow. And, right. and that's the thing that like, listen, like, uh, I'm guilty of it. Everyone's guilty of it. But that's the first thing to fix. Yeah. And that's, I'm a hundred percent. That, that seems like unequivocal yeah. for sure. The right way based on our experience, our understanding, the Twitter conversations and the docs, all that's like, that's not what it's there for. And then I think the sort of my second thing was like, okay, don't use a dependency array where you don't need it. But then that raises the question of like, is my effect item potent? So is it like making a call to, to change document.title? Or is it like calling into some analytic service? And that um, that question, unfortunately, isn't always easy to answer because right. look, like it's very rare that we have effects that are just document.title or like analytic service.update. Um, right. So yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, my, my current thinking here is um, autocomplete, like pretend that you don't control that array, pretend it's part of the programming language. And yeah. Um, interesting no i mean it's it's true that you can't always and the practical um like compromise answer here i was working on that off stuff a few weeks ago i need to get back to that actually but um setting up firebase uh in an effect which is what you do it's how you do it um you like you import firebase and create your new app and you do it in a hook or whatever and um you can't make it item potent because you can't because you instantiate the Firebase app um, and with a config that you pass in and you like can't destroy it, I think, or the cleanup was async. So <laughs> you cannot make it item potent um, because you can't have two instances of the Firebase app on the page at the same time. And if you make an effect that checks if it already exists and creates it if it doesn't, but if it does, it ignores it. Then if you change your config and the hot module reloading happens, right? In a production app, you're never going to have this happen, but this is a local, but it's still the same idea. The hot module reloading occurs. It reruns your effect, which in a perfect world is item potent and can be rerun um, or like synchronized with the new state, which is your new config. But yeah, if the thing exists, then it ignores it. If it doesn't exist, it creates it. But there's no way to update the config. And if you wanted to make it item potent, the way you'd do it is you'd have to delete the app, the Firebase app, and then reinstantiate it. But it's async, and there's no way. There's like no way to do that. Basically, there's no reason. There's like no way to do that. Um, Could you have like your tear your tear down, call the async thing, and then some set some state, and then your setup would have to check. Like exactly. do a loop and check that, or uh, or the until it knew it was destroyed, and then it could start. It could actually create a new Firebase app with that. But like the, your app is expecting there to be a Firebase yeah. app, so like it's just like not. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is like a new state. You're you're exactly yeah. There's like that new in between state. I mean, this is this is like I, I always go back to this. This is like the the purest like yeah. yeah you've identified some new state of your app that that is possible with hot module reloading that you didn't know about before. And this is forcing you to deal with it. Yeah. But the reality is like, there's a lot of situations you could be in as a developer where this kind of thing is not, um, there is no like dot update method to like update the config. And, um, there is like really no way to write this effect 
in an item potent way that is not going to be so costly as to not at all be worth it. Yeah, I mean the the worth it is definitely definitely a a, a, a a question you have to to ask and answer. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean like just you know hearing this, I would say like yes, at some state when the async thing come gets destroyed, and then that state is going to force another re-render, and then the main effect is going to say like if is fully destroyed, then I can set this thing up. It's almost like you want to wait a hook into the hot module reloading and say it's not ready yet. Like there's been a hot module reloading. Okay, run our cleanups. Now wait, and now we're ready for the new modules. Yeah. Because like you're accounting for a new state that only exists because of a development feature. Yeah. It doesn't seem good to add application code to deal with that, right? Um, But you could do it transparently without application code um, if there was a way to hook into the, the hot module reloading. I know it's like, yeah, you don't want to deal with this thing because it's only in dev, but it is a state in dev. Um, yeah, but it's not like you don't deal you don't deal with like half compiled code. You know, your application <laughs> code doesn't. You wait for your dev server to like do all that stuff. So there's like a million in between states. But from the perspective of your app, you don't write application code to deal with those. There, there is a boundary there. It feels like there's a boundary. Ah, uh, 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 you're saying you you're know? saying there's the, okay. I get what you're saying. So I, I wasn't understanding. So you should be able to hook into like hot module reloading itself to define yes. cleanup and setup and then there's like a lag in between every hot module reload yeah. where you run those things exactly like i wouldn't be terribly upset about adding a, a cleanup function that calls like app.destroy but if it's async nope. um the hot module reloading waits and, and before um jumping back in again yeah that um, feels that feels right it feels like it's a, like the right boundary like we wouldn't yeah. we wouldn't want to add like test code to our app yeah we we you know put it at some like testing setup tear down boundary exactly anyways pretty interesting top topic though i, I do feel like uh, i i, I want to make a video of this i have it in my backlog but um react is a programming language for uis because it does feel like um and that's the right way to think about it it is that's 100 percent true yeah and uh this is another good point like the the dependency array thing should just be a given it should it should just be a given basically um, like you were saying. So I like that rule. And it you actually kind of convinced me because at the beginning when you said that, I was like, no, definitely not. It should just be undone. Like it should have no dependency array. That's how it's meant to be used and thought about. But um, if you're going to be doing no dependency array with if statement, um, then why not? Yeah, you're already, you're already there basically. Yeah. Yeah, we should. I want to. I want to figure out a way to ask that question. Where if, if where if it can rerun even if it doesn't change. Um, yeah, because that would. Yeah, I'll be back yeah. in three months with Ryan's Ryan's <laughs> latest hot take on how to use effect. I made a uh, moving on. I made a YouTube video last week about React Router. Um, that was pretty fun. Um, cool to see React take on routing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, programming language, you know, <laughs> low-level primitives, but pretty neat. It's like, you know, when we first made Mirage and we made our own router, like, that's basically what I did again. But, like, you can do, if we were to do that today with React Router V6, like, we would write a lot less code because of the primitives that they're they're exposing now. Nice. What? That's pretty neat. I think one of the reasons we made our own router is because um, all of our pages were keyed. So that when you navigate from page A to page B, if you have a, a overflow div that was scrolled because the thing was keyed, the page is completely teared down. So even if that div exists on both pages, um, that state was lost. Yeah, that is why we initially wanted to go with fully client-side routing um, and why we basically backed out of like the default Gatsby router. Um and so we just used reach router directly and we render like one route and our app is bundled completely at that route. Right. I think, um, I think we still use the routes. We just don't, um, we like render our own router cause of the way the router was built, it was like hidden from us and it, yeah. 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 We use reach router, which is bundled in it, yep. but we don't use any of the pages. The way Gatsby works is like you create a page file and then it automatically creates a route for you and we just do all that ourselves yeah yeah we use one page and then yes all of our routes and that keeps the sidebar mounted even across page transitions yep um 
because we can use nested routing. So like, but we still, even in spite of us using reach router and using its feature of nested routing, we still wrote our own router class, which like acts as a wrapper and did some other coordination um, to let us do things like uh, render a route, a, a link to like slash docs and have it automatically transform into like a link to slash docs slash getting started um, to traverse our hierarchy and find the first child uh, leaf node of the hierarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's and, right. Uh, Cause reach router doesn't have that notion. And there were some other things that it didn't have notion of that we added um, active page and uh, um, some different things like that. But in React Router v6, they have some new stuff that's pretty interesting. But um, cool that addresses some of that. So, like one of the problems we ran into with Reach Router was like, yeah, if you have your route hierarchy and you have a link that goes to a certain route, um, and you want that link to know if it's active or not, you actually can't do it if you're just looking at the link in the two prop alone, where you think you might be able to, but you can't. And we ran into this. So let's say you have three routes, page A, page B, page C. You would expect, okay, if I have a link to page B, I can just see if it's active, right? By looking at the URL. And if the URL matches page B, then um, I know it's active. And so I can make like a renderless version of a link to and yield an active state. And then I can write like nav links that are correct. But the problem is... Um, there's not always enough information in the URL to know if that link is active or not. So if you have like those three static links, there is, but what if you have a link mounted at the root? So what if page a is mounted at the root? So how do you know if page a is active or not without knowing that the entire route hierarchy is slash for the one slash page B for the second slash page C for the third. Um, you can't just look at a link that says to slash and see if it's active. How would you do it? You could say if it's, it's active, if it's a, an exact match. So only if the URL is exactly slash. Uh, I see. I see what you're saying. But what about if there's a child route um, or a dynamic route? Um, so actually, like what makes a route active has to do with what other routes are defined in your router. And this is like how Ember's router works, and this is how this is how React router and Reach router work in terms of what they render to you, right? The router takes an entire hierarchy because it has to rank the relative yep. URLs against each other, and so it can know if like slash um, items slash one two three is a higher ranking than like slash not found or something like that, even though not found technically matches everything because it's like a star. Um, that's a, that's interesting, but but. When you're talking about active, it's no longer a ranking. It's no longer pick the best one. It's a question of, is this active or not? But it needs to be the best one. It needs to be tied back to the hierarchy. Otherwise, you don't know if it's active. So like, if you think about it, when you're trying to see if you want the dashboard link in the header to be active or not, um, you don't care about the URL and what the two prop is. You care about if the dashboard thing, if the dashboard is being rendered and the rules by which React Router or Reach Router is using to determine that should be the same rules you use to determine whether the link has is, is active or not. So you want those two things to align. Um, so you can't, you cannot just determine whether a link should be active or not just by looking at its two prop and the and the and the location of the document of the URL. You have to also know the entire routing hierarchy so that you can rank it in the same way that the router ranks to determine which component to render. If you take something does that makes sense, it does. If you take something like the 404 page, like the 404 page is not rendered whenever you have something else rendered because it's the yep. lowest priority. But yep. because the 404 page is like its path is star, it matches every URL. It, yeah, yeah. So, so it's not rendered, but, sh but it's also not active, right? Because it's not correct. But I would think. Well, it could be. It could be act. No, it would be active if you have two routes. One's a four hundred four page that matches everything. The other one is is um, slash introduction. Mm -hmm. Then um, when you're on slash introduction, it doesn't. The four hundred four page doesn't match and doesn't render. But if you're on anything else, it should match and it should render. So it would be active. So if you had a link to yeah yeah if you this had a link is, this... to anything else um, that wasn't introduction, it should 
what you conceptually want to know is um, if the two is like, if the thing that's in two, which component it matches against which, in yeah. the routing hierarchy. It's almost like oh, when you're rendering a link, just render the app and tell me which of those Ex- components are active. Ex- exactly. And that's how I know if a link is active. Exactly. So what you end up wanting is some unique identifier back to the hierarchy, which in Ember is the name of the route. So that's why routes have names in Ember where you can say dashboard dot index. And that is a unique identifier. It's a key um, to a specific, uh, you know, active path through your component hierarchy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and really you want to tie links back to that name, which is why in Ember you can just do link to dashboard.index and then it's just active if that path through the hierarchy is active but in react router and reach router up until now there's been no easy way to do that and so you run into all these issues i've done this like three or four times now basically every site i do because like yeah the dashboard link which is the home page is like active when it shouldn't be active and i need to like code in some weird like exact prop or like use some weird matching regex logic to make sure it stays active if its child pages are active because like i really only need to match the starts with part like you shouldn't have to do anything of that you just conceptually you want to tie the links active state back to um the components that are being rendered by the router so in react router v6 there's a cool way to do that they give you like a use uh like a match routes function that takes in the whole hierarchy of routes and returns the ones or the whole all of them that match so we have this in our router and if you look in marauder site we wrote this at the beginning because we ran into exactly this problem where you want to say what is the active path and when i'm linking to something i want my link to somehow correspond to the active path so, so now, i know if it's active or not and so now when you have a route that's mounted at like lyric at slash it's easy it to tell matter. because you can exactly. just look at this route tree and see if you're part of like the active path through the tree. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like you can have n arbitrary routes mounted at slash, right? You could have yep. a dashboard. Dashboard could have three children. It could have like index sales and new users. Uh, index, you know, or like overview could be mounted at index. Overview could have children. So you could be at slash, and you could be at dashboard dot overview dot you know sales, or you could be at dashboard dot overview dot new users and only the first two should be active yeah so okay the, okay so now yeah you really do need that path exactly and you get you it path. so you get it now. and you 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 kind of get it you get you get you get an array a flat array of matches of each literal object in your route hierarchy that you've defined now in a javascript object instead of in a template um but you can use that to figure out the path basically so um, so in that case you would get like dashboard dashboard slash overview and uh, whatever the third one you mentioned was exactly but they don't have a name property it's whatever you want it to be so by default they only have a path property and maybe a children array of child routes so you can either use that to map it back or you can give things a name property so ideally like there would be a name property that would make it easy to wire all this up i was able to figure that out because i had the experience and i understood what I needed here was a way to like tie back my link to like a particular node in my hierarchy. And that way I could determine if it was active or not. Um, So pretty interesting, but it's pretty cool because basically you start by rendering the router in your JSX and within router, you are rendering routes that have a path property. And that's what react router uses to determine what's active. But once you need that in your link, to share it, you basically hoist the route hierarchy out of your JSX into a J- JavaScript array. Then you can use this match routes thing. And then you also get to use this match routes thing where your old router was rendered in the outlet, like the main outlet area. You pass in the JavaScript array and it returns an element, a JSX element, which is like the best match given the URL. So you pass in like the current location and the routes array. And then you just get a JSX element, which you render instead of rendering your entire router hierarchy. Um, and that changes as the location changes. So it's like a true outlet then. It's a true outlet. And now they actually have an outlet component um, that you can render in children to render the the child um, routes as they become active or not. But the element is basically like instead of rendering this whole router hierarchy, we're just going to we're going to return which component is active 
based on your route hierarchy that you passed in and the location you passed in, you can render it. Where where do you define the routes? Is it still the same like component just, land? So no, but that's what I'm saying. You you start by doing it in component land, but because I wanted to make a link that shared that knowledge, I wanted to have it in a shared place. So you hoist, you pull it out of the of component land, you pull it out of the JSX, you put it in a raw JavaScript array. I literally just put it in the same file, like above the component. And then where I used to render that in component land, now I just have a function called like, um, yeah, it's like match routes or, or it's like get best element. It's like get best, you know, component given this hierarchy and this location, the current location from like use location hook, which updates over time. And then, so as that changes, the the best element you get changes, but you just throw that best element in some JSX in your template. And then that's what updates your app. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And, and then you can write like a, a, a nav link component that also uses that hierarchy that's in JavaScript, but uses it in a way to re- not to render the element, but to return the match so that you can tie it back to the link and see if it's active or not. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. I've, uh, I have one more, one question about this. That's totally, totally off topic. But, um, I think one of the other things that tripped us up with, with the React routing was that you, to, in order to redirect, you have to render. Do you have, have you, yeah. have you, have you just found anything, any solutions have, to that? I haven't yet, but I wanted to tackle that. Um, I still think they have like a redirect thing that you have to render, but I wanted to make it so like, I still think it's dumb that like, if you render a link that's not to a node, a, a leaf node, um, you can get into like a impossible state in your app, like a thing that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I think what you could do is, if someone renders a link to slash docs, I could throw that path into my hierarchy with the match routes and pick the one that is the leaf of, let's say four match, four routes match back. I need to be able to find the leaf one and then use that path instead, um, swap that in. And I think that would protect you from that problem. So that would get you the Ember router default behavior of being able to link to anywhere in your tree and have it automatically um, render synchronously to the leaf in one shot. So that would solve that problem. Then as far as redirects go, um, if you were to link somewhere and you wanted to add a redirect, um, well, if you had the whole hierarchy, you should be able to now without having to render because now your router hierarchy is statically known um, if you're not using dynamic routes, and this is actually kind of cool, right? Cause even though this is how like 99% of applications probably work, um, it's kind of cool that you can do all this because you can also do dynamic routing. So like, uh, you could have something at runtime, like change the routes in this hierarchy and your app would still work. Right. Um, but you might need to render, you can imagine a situation where you have to render, like you fetch data from the server at runtime to know what the routes are. Oh, when um, you said dynamic routing, I thought you were saying like post slash one. No, I but know. You're, but I'm, you're, I'm, you're saying like it might not be called posts. Itself. It might be called like exactly. articles or it might be in another language, something like that. Exactly. So like literally the hierarchy itself could change. Um, and so what would once be like a, a 404 page that could potentially redirect to the home page, maybe after you make a network request, it's not anymore. So it's pretty cool that you can do that because in a lot of the other frameworks you can't um at the same time like the way 99 percent of us route it would be nice to probably have more conventions with like the name property and stuff but you can learn this stuff and i think it's not too bad it's pretty cool though that you can do dynamic like truly dynamic routing in that sense yeah um um you could imagine like a file tree like github wanting to create those routes and i think it would be a lot easier i think what you'd end up with is much more clear code than like a slash dynamic segment slash dynamic segment because like we could have a file tree with like n depth um uh, of files and folders right yeah i, I would just um, tell you i would have like star path and then i would be like splitting by slash yeah and doing my own half-baked routing somewhere exactly. else in like site some like random component and it would be awful exactly so here maybe instead you you um fetch the repository and then that repository comes back and you start like pushing routes 
to the router somehow and then the best match is like updating and 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 the links are working and everything so that'd be pretty that'd be a fun exercise actually that'd make a pretty cool video is there like is there one of my thoughts here it's like does this make like the whole static site generation can this play into that at all because like a lot of time with static sites we want to know yeah well i think again like and where i did my video it's like most of the time you know your routes ahead of time like um so yeah if you needed to generate your whole site statically you would need to know all the routes ahead of time but um back to your original question i think if you did if you were in that situation where you had a fixed like javascript array of your routes you should be able to redirect without having to render because I can tell you at build time, whatever, I can just tell you by looking at your source code if you ever link to this thing um, and it, you need to redirect, then we can just set that up ahead of time. Now, if you needed to redirect at runtime, let's say you visited slash product slash ID one, two, three, four, and it's not found and you wanted to redirect after you make like a network request, then you're back to the situation where you need to render and then redirect. But like, that's not the problem that you and I were running into. We were running into like a static case where we wanted to redirect from like docs intro to like docs introduction. And you should be able to do that without rendering for sure. I mean, I I I do like the idea of like just eliminating this whole thing at the link to, and just saying like, yeah, before we even talk about like rendering slash docs and let's just say any link that goes to slash docs, we'll just rewrite it as a link to slash docs slash Exactly. Exactly. I think if we were starting a new app today, then I think this is how we would do it. We we would just define our route hierarchy in JavaScript array um, and render the outlet using like use best match or whatever, and then start writing our nav link component ourselves also using the routes so that they can be smart um and uh it's pretty cool nice yeah pretty neat very nice there's like a lot of other cool little tricks too dude they have relative routing um and it works like with dynamic segments and everything it's really cool so you can say like two and then you do a relative route where you do like just like two you know colon username and you're within like the user's route parent route and then you have like a dynamic, let's say a master detail list where like you're in users and then each you know thing is like a dynamic segment where it's like user ID. So you just say to user ID and then it just does it relative to the current thing. And so you can move that entire part of the tree anywhere and all those routes still work and the active segment works because they have this thing called use resolved location, which is a hook that gives you, takes in like a relative, any kind of to prop either relative or absolute and returns the full absolute name which you can then match against the best match from the hierarchy to determine if the link is active so in my youtube video i i am basically refining the nav link in all these situations and it ends up being really cool because it's like super robust to all these cool features huh yeah it's pretty neat nice yeah um kind of fun you know it's different I think I want to make that it goes back to this video I want to make about React being a programming language for UIs because it's the kind of thing that's like fun to play around with. But if you're building an app can be frustrating and I think it's probably a source of a lot of frustration in React where you're like, I just want to do this easy thing. And why does it feel like React makes the easy things hard? That's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Um, I just want to save this form when I click a button and like now I have to learn about use effect and item potency and algebraic effects and you know what i'm saying it's like but if you think about react as like a programming language it's different and so it feels like that's the better way to do it and it might not it might mean it's not the best tool for the job you're doing but i do think it's the right way to think about it and so if you're going to add routing you should expect that you're going to be using a library like react router v6 that gives you these low-level primitives and um, you're going to be expected to learn how to use them to build the things you need for your app as opposed to it giving you something like embers router which is like has 90 percent of the use cases given to you up front you Mm -hmm. know cool yeah it's interesting i i definitely get the react as a programming language but then when you say oh react router is a programming language is that what you're also go i'm i'm saying that the ethos from react spills into the ecosystem and the ethos of react 
is that we're closer to a programming language than we are an app application framework. Um, therefore, you're going to be expected to learn how to use the primitives like use state and use effect to build your own primitives to build your app. And libraries that are popular in an ecosystem like React Router are going to adopt that philosophy and they're going to say, hmm. we're not going to give you a high-level router. We're going to give you low-level things that are going to feel like they came from React itself. And so a use location hook and a use match uh, hook that takes in a hierarchy of things that you can use to build your own nav link. Whereas I think a view router or an ember router would never do that. would say know? like link, link to. Yeah, exactly. Or rails. Ra- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, and, and I just, it's the same with our, our experience with spring animation, react spring. Like it's crazy. Like it felt crazy when we wanted to add a little bit of animation to a drop down. Um, it was crazy, right? And the way it interacts with use effect and everything, it was really hard. But I think if we were thinking about it, like, um, this is like a primitive that we need to understand instead of like, how fast can I get this in here? Because we've had that experience with like Ember add-ons where it's amazing. You just install an add-on, you get to use like a, a power drop down or a power select or something. And it just is like, takes two props and it like is integrated. And when it works, it works great. And I, it's a proper abstraction. I didn't have to learn about how it works. If we go into something like React Spring or React Router thinking that way, we're going to be frustrated and disappointed. Right, right, right. Dude, I just side comment. I've switched all my <laughs> React Spring code to Framer Motion and just, oh my God. Like, it's awesome. It's I, just, I, I want to do that. I, I've been, I've been wanting to do that. I just, I was trying to do this one thing with it and I spent like a couple hours and I couldn't get it working. And he hasn't launched the new version of Framer Motion yet. And, uh, it doesn't have like complete docs and he's like changing some things. So I just, I just okay. said I'm going to come back to it in like a month or two. Um, that's good. That's good to hear, though. React Spring is awesome when you want to understand. I mean, you really, you really understand yeah. everything. Like you, yeah. you spend a week writing a component with React Spring, and all of a sudden you have a computer science PhD. <laughs> it's like it just appears three D graphics. It just appears you know. on your wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm I'm really thankful. Like I'm I'm actually really happy that that we went from went like Ember first. animated to React Spring because it was like really high level. And that introduced the concepts like sprites and um, transitions and all that. And mm-hmm. then going to Spring was just like, okay, now you kind of realize like all the stuff that Animated was doing under the hood for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also let you kind of like build up, okay, how would I build this up? And then going to Framer Motion is like, okay, now I'm in my happy place. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, and I definitely think like React libraries can be higher level. I just think that you're going to run across more low level ones than you might in other communities, and um, yeah, that is that is both like there's trade offs. There is like a, both a good thing and a bad thing, but it's just a good thing to be aware of, you know. Yep. Um, yeah, the framework motion thing. I still don't think it has a good solution for like just an accordion, like a, a thing that is like actually pushing the content down the way Ember animated does, basically like animated if. I think you end up recreating that yourself. It can't animate like height zero to auto. Um, it doesn't have like a good way to do that. So that's always like the first thing that I reach for. And it's like the hardest thing to do because I think from motion took a stance that like, we don't animate things that aren't performant. Okay. Um, so we only animate transform and opacity basically. And so if you want to make a, an accordion with transform, you need to do a lot of extra work to like make room for things. Okay, I haven't th- I haven't done an accordion. I've only done page like transitions or something. Page transitions ah. and modals. But it's been ah, I mean it's ah, been ah. it's been I guess the two things it's been once once I get the component wired up it's been easy and then also there's like the, I found the examples to be really helpful. Um nice. So yeah, I've had a good experience with it. That's cool. I need to I need to give it another shot. Cool, man. Well, uh, we're already at over an hour, so yeah. look at that. You talk. You think you have nothing to talk about? You, you say the word "use effect," <laughs> boom. And, uh, where does the time go? <laughs> All right. Here is to a healthy weekend, one step at a time. You know, every day we get a new beginning. That's what I was thinking about as I was just walking around my neighborhood, thinking of how much I failed this week. I was like, you know what? I'm not. At least I don't have like a giant beer belly. 
Uh, even though I ate a bag of candy yesterday, literally a bag of candy. What is wrong with me? I don't have a giant beer belly yet. I do. I'm a little fluffier than I was a month or two ago. But we get a new beginning. We get to start the day saying, "Let's own it today. <laughs> Let's tackle it." You know, and just stick to the basics. That's going to be my thing here for the next week. So I'm going to try to go grocery shopping tomorrow. Go for a jog. It is so beautiful outside. 82 degrees. Wow, look at that. Sun's out. Nice. Can't complain. Nice. So we'll, uh, we'll check in next week to see if you made a grocery shopping. Awesome. That would be great. That's a good accountability right there. I think that is one of my keystone habits. If I actually manage, I've spent so much money on Seamless in the last two weeks. <laughs> if I manage to shop and cook, then a lot of other good things fall out of that because there's like some discipline involved in that, you know? Yeah. So that's what I'm going to go for. All right. Well, we hope you're staying safe and sane. Thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, what are we gonna talk about next week? Let's let's see. Let's let's sow some seeds here. Maybe amplify. Yeah, yeah. I've been using amplify a lot, and um, it's great. So I want to hear more about it. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we will see you next week. Bye bye. See ya.